Is your family a success? Is there even a measure for family success? We think there is, and with a 20-year track record of success, we're going to show you how to bless your family with success in your health, relationships, and finances. I'm Steve Keen. And I'm Katie Keen. And along with some awesome guests, we are going to give you our secrets to family success. Welcome to Family Success Secrets. Hi, everybody. Today we have with us Rosemary Clark. She, as a newly married person in her early 30s, found herself on a therapist's couch after she had burned out at work. So it was there that she learned she'd had a highly abusive childhood. Her need to push herself so hard was rooted in trying to earn something that seemed out of reach for her whole life, her parents' love. During her time in therapy, she became pregnant with her first child. When she became a mom, it magnified her insecurities and triggered unshed tears and unexpressed anger. She felt she had two choices, fall into the abyss of repeating what her parents did or learn completely new ways of relating. She will be forever grateful that she stumbled upon the language of listening, which is a parenting model that not only allowed her to become the mom she always wanted to be, but allowed her to also reparent herself. She's now an authorized language of listening coach, and she specializes in helping moms who had difficult childhoods get to a place where they love the way they parent. Rosemary, we're so excited to have you today. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you have an amazing story to tell, and we would love for you to share it with our audience. Yeah, yeah, sure. I did, as the intro said, I did have a difficult childhood. I had an abusive childhood. And one of the things that the therapist asked me from the get-go, she's okay, you're here because you burned out at work. Like, why do you work so hard? Why are you putting so many hours in at work? And I had never asked myself that question. And what came out of my mouth surprised me. And I just simply said, well, I'm trying to prove that I'm worth the space I take up in this world. That's how I felt. That's what was really, you know, on my heart at that stage. I think I was 33 years old at the time, maybe 34. And so that was what was really, that was what was really on my heart. That's what I was really pushing myself to do. And, and so then we just started working through all that. And indeed, while I was on, while I was getting that therapy, I did find out that I was pregnant with my first child. Before I even got married, my husband and I talked about, because that was important to me. What kind of parents are we going to be? Like, we need to, this is something that I really want to hammer out. When I said to him, this is my philosophy. I want to make sure that my kids ha- are enabled to have their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. And I want them to have close emotional connections with both their parents. He was 100% on board with that. And that's where, that's how we went into parenthood, just believing that was really important. And when the rubber hit the road, and I had two under two, and then I started yelling, I knew mm. something was not quite right. I knew that I had the thoughts, I had the philosophy, but I did not have the tools. And I went to my husband and I said, I'm married to a Steve too. So I said, Steve, <laughs> I need the tools. I need some tools. I don't have the tools. And I said, I don't even know if the right tools exist. And then, like I say, I'll be forever grateful that I stumbled on Language of Listening because I, I, I stumbled on Sandy's website, Sandra Blackard. She's the founder of Language of Listening. I stumbled on her website and I started reading things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is it. Here are the tools. Here is this incredible respect of the child, but also paired with the parents are the ones in charge and they hold the boundaries because you can't have, this is the way parenting shows up in our world, right? Is this, there's this many times we're coming down and we're like, we've got to make sure that our kids are ready for adulthood. And we got to make sure that they're following all the rules. And they're doing all these things. And then there's a side of us that's not, we want to have this emotional connection with them. And we feel like it's an either, or this is the way our society comes at it. So sometimes we have parents that are on one side and parents on the other side, but what we really see is so many of us struggling because the pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth and back and forth. And language of listening gets us settled down in the middle where like, we're the parents, we're 
we're the ones in charge. And holding boundaries can actually be connective and help us feel closer in our relationship with our children rather than feeling distant from them because we come alongside them and we support them to be successful in meeting their needs within our boundaries. That's simply the way to put it. So that's how I stumbled on all these things. Again, starting off with a difficult childhood, being very careful about the person I married because I wanted to make sure that I was creating a family life, a healthy family life for my children and for myself. But again, once I got to that point where I had the two kids and they were just young and I was yelling at them and I just did not, that's not the way I wanted things to go. and knew I needed tools, knew I needed tools. Okay. So where did you learn about, or how did you find out about the language of listening? Yeah, definitely. I was looking for these tools. As I said, I knew I needed them. I didn't know if they existed. I didn't know where to find them, but my heart was open. Like I was looking, my heart was open and I found this lady. I don't really remember how I found her books, but Rachel Macy Stafford, Hands-Free Mama, if you're familiar with her. And and so I read that book, The Hands-Free Mama, and I just really loved, I was following her on Facebook, and I just really loved the way that she spoke about her daughters and the respect that she had and the the way that she thought about her daughters. And I was like, I'm just going to keep following this lady. I'm going to keep reading her posts and just see what's what. And then that's where I found Sandy because... Rachel mentioned her one day in one of her posts and um, because she'd been looking into the language of listening. And so then, then I followed, that's how I followed along and went to that re- website and started reading and then thinking I found the tools. And then as I looked deeper, because at that stage in my life, I really wanted to find a way to support other moms who had experienced ACEs. We haven't talked about ACEs yet. And ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So because I have autoimmune disease, I have thyroid disease, I went into, I started following a special diet that was you know, going to help with that. And then I was in a Facebook group there and somebody mentioned, because I said, does anybody feel like maybe some of this could be rooted in some childhood difficulties and some of you need to look up the ACEs quiz. You need to go research ACEs. And so ACEs is a study that was done in the States and they found that many diseases, in particular autoimmune disease, is very distinctly linked to adverse childhood experiences, difficulties that we experienced in our childhood. And so you can take this quiz. Anybody that wants to take it can just search on Google ACEs quiz. And so at that point, again, in my life, I just, I was like, oh, like ACEs, like I'd really love to help other women that have had, again, a difficult childhood. And I instinctively knew that if you had a difficult childhood, you might be struggling with parenting as I was. And so then I found on Sandy's website that she has coaches training and it was starting in just four months. And so I applied and I got accepted and it's a two-year program, but I I did go through that two-year program uh, to get the training right from the founder. That is amazing. And what a neat journey to just find one piece of the path and then the next piece of the path. It seems like life does work that way so often when you're meant to do something. I agree. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. What is the premise of the language of listening then? Is there a way that you can pull it down? Um, there is. There are actually four premises. There are four premises go. and three tools. So. <laughs> who, who aren't familiar with it, and yeah. that's me and mm-hmm. whoever else in the audience. How, how do you boil it down so that everybody has a good understanding of how it works in general? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just tell you what the four premises are. Okay. So the first premise is that everything children do and say is communication and they must continue to communicate until they are heard. So this is the first piece. And the second piece is children have every possible inner strength and they act according to who they believe they are. The third premise is that all behaviors are driven by three healthy needs, experience, connection, and power. What children are doing is already meeting those needs And then the fourth premise brings it all together. It's really the one that kind of encompasses everything. And it says that all growth comes through acceptance. 
and children are setting the exactly the right challenge for growth. And so this is what this is how our life is. As human beings, we're always growing. We're always moving forward. And a huge part of that growth is really uncovering the mystery of who we are, of who we were created to be, right? And showing up as the fullest expression of ourselves in the world. And so that's really what this is about. Our children are having challenges. We all have challenges for growth to, to show up as the fullest expression of ourselves. And so how can we come alongside them to help them meet their needs within the boundaries that are there? But we come from a, a very deep place of trust in the child and trust in the parent. And really, it's our job as parents just to coach the greatness in our children to the surface. We mm. coach it to the surface. So it's this model, Sandy talks about this model, is it turns you into a life coach for your kids to help them experience success at showing up as their fullest the fullest expression of themselves to overcome their challenges, to see their own greatness. Because again, that premise that talks about children act according to who they believe they are. One of the quickest ways to get your child to change their behavior, if you don't like their behavior, is get change the way that they view themselves. Mm. Change the way that they view themselves and they'll act from that place. If they believe they're a loving person, for example, they're going to do loving things. Just like the postman delivers a mail because he knows he's a postman, right? It's what postmen do. What does a loving person do? They do loving things, right? So when a child believes they're loving, they're just so freed up to do all the loving things that come naturally to them because loving comes naturally to them. At, at what age can you implement that? I can see that going to a very young age, but what is the start that you would say? I would say it's fantastic when parents start doing, especially the first tool, which is called Say What You See, that's connected to that everything children do and say is communication. Say what you see when you reflect back to the child, anything you see them doing, saying, thinking, or feeling so that you're understanding the child, you're seeing who they are, you're seeing the world from their perspective, you can start that right from day one. Because then all of a sudden you're training your brain and your mind to look at them that way, to understand them, to see that the miracle and the mystery of who they are and to view them from that place. Toddlers, as soon as, as, soon as the kids can start to understand words, oh man, they eat it up. They eat up to say what you see, the validation, right? Look at you, you're driving that car around. Like you love that car. Just very simple things. And they that's how we connect with them. That tool is for connecting and for understanding. It helps them to feel understood, but most important that we actually are understanding them because that's the best way for somebody to authentically feel understood is when we actually do understand them because then naturally we're going to act in ways when we, when we where we are understanding them. So right from day one, and also I'll say it's never too late. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never too late, even if your children are grown and flown, you know, you start validating them and who they are and showing that you can see them and understand them. Everybody just wants to be seen and understood. Really, that's all we all want is to be seen and understood. It's such a powerful, beautiful way to connect. And so even again, if you feel like it's too late, it's never too late. Children have millions of chances that they give their parents. They really do. Even today for me, I did have a difficult childhood. I have a rough relationship with my parents. If they could come to me and do say what you see today. <laughs> and show me that they they see and they understand me oh man that would just be that would feel so amazing (laughs) so does it work in reverse then so instead of it being parent to child it might be parent to that would make you the kid and and, or the child and and then the parent does if i went to my parents and, and and saw them and understood them is that what you're saying yeah yes this model works for everything. It, it's made my marriage better. I love telling people how it's made my marriage better. It's reduced like codependency and enmeshment in my marriage, which I brought after my difficult childhood. But really, like I say, Sandy says it turns you into a life coach for your kids. But she basically came up with a coaching model, cracked the code on how people work. <laughs> and she came up with a coaching model through the lens of parenting. But it works with everybody because you know what? When the tools are not working with your kids, you stop and you use the tools on yourself. 
and you get yourself connected. You get connected to you. You get yourself showing up as the fullest expression of you in the world. And then you go back and you handle this challenge that you're having with your kiddos. But again, even in my marriage, my husband loves it when I use say what you see with him. Very different than the say what I would use with a two-year-old. That's very different, but but you do learn how to use it in a more sophisticated fashion. Basically with the young kids, you're focusing more on the doing and the saying. And with older people, teenagers and adults, you're focusing more on the thinking and the feeling, those parts that you're reflecting, that yeah. you're reflecting back to them. Yeah. I just know that this would also work and maybe better than most things when it comes to special needs children, mm-hmm. perhaps those children who are nonverbal or have some other difficulty in communicating and they can't get across, here's how I feel. And this is why I'm acting the way that I am. But maybe there is a a potential connection here that's very strong with this method. You think? Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. One of the things I talk to parents about, and and one of the first things we want to do when you start using language of listening with your kids is switch from being the judge to being the, the detective you really want to get super curious. And so one of the questions that we get parents to ask themselves when they're doing this, say what you see, when they're trying to get into walking around in their child's perspective is, why would a great kid do that? Just come from the place that I know I've got a great kid and there's got to be a really good reason why they're doing what they're doing. There's some sort of a challenge there. And I can either punish them for having a challenge or I can come alongside them show them what the boundaries are and support them to be successful in meeting their needs within my boundaries, within my rules. I love that. I love that. I I hope everybody who's listening will write down, why would a great kid do this? (laughs) And post it on the fridge. I just love that, Rosemary. Wow. And and Katie, you use it with yourself. If you do something that you don't like, why would a great mom do that? Steve, why would a great dad do that? Like, just see yourselves and see your kids. You can, we can see everybody is great. Everybody's just needing meet, meeting needs. And that we can get from that third premise of language of listening that says all behavior is driven by three healthy needs. All behavior is driven by three healthy needs. Does not mean all that behaviors is healthy. All behavior is healthy. Doesn't mean all behavior is healthy. But it means that anything, anytime anybody's ever doing anything, They're simply trying to meet needs and then you can bring your boundaries into it. So if your child is meeting their need for power by hitting their brother because he he wants to play with the the car that his brother has, he just needs to know that he's capable. He needs to know that he can go after what he wants in the world. Hitting people to get what you want is not within your boundaries and it's not a way to to function in the world. So you come alongside him and you go, okay, you want the car, must be something you can do to get that car without anybody getting hurt. Must be something for you to get what you want without anybody getting hurt. And then they can come up with a solution together with you. So next time that desire comes up, next time they want something, they go, oh, I need to do this without anybody getting hurt. And then they have an answer. They have a path to follow to get to that point. I love that, that this can apply to sibling relationships because something we've seen in our experience is that most families are fascinated and really want to know more about how to help sibling relationships. And it's something that we talk with people about a lot. So I'd really love if you could explain more to the audience too, if there's anything more about what can they do when their kids are having those horrible fights? Like how can they diffuse that? Are there there tools? I can go right through the three tools and how they work then. That's Mm -hmm. what I'll do just to explain it. So again, let's use that example of the brothers hitting one boy sitting another boy because he wants to turn with the car. And this was really the thing for me, just to backtrack a little bit, like holding boundaries was something that was really difficult for me coming from a difficult childhood. A healthy way to hold boundaries was not modeled for me. 
and making space for my own boundaries was not a thing that was a part of my childhood. So I hit adult life and I was like, okay, boundaries, like what? And so anytime I wanted something or anything, anytime I had a boundary, it was because it's okay with you. And if it wasn't okay with the other person, then the other person just always got what they wanted, which was not always the best thing, especially when I was in my twenties and we're talking romantic relationships. Like that was an area where I wish I had been, had better tools for holding my boundaries. Anyways. And so when I became a mom, like that was one of the things was like, I want to maintain an emotional connection with you and you can't hit your sister. Like you have to have the boundaries have to be there. And so when it comes to the tools and holding the boundaries, yeah, let's really talk about that. So one son hits his brother. So you want to get into his perspective, everything children do in states communication, something's going on there. And you're really frustrated. You hit your brother. You want to turn with the car simply to say, okay. And, and the child may say more, they may give you more information or they may not. Again, you're going to, you're going to hold your boundary and the way that you hold the boundary, you sneak it in there with a can do phrase. Okay. Cause he's meeting a need. That's what the say, what you see also helps us to do is uncover which of the three needs experience connection or power is the child meeting. At that moment, we're pretty sure he's meeting the need for power. He wants to feel capable at getting what he wants. He wants to feel like he can actually do that. That's this very important tool for adults to have, to feel like they can get what they want also really important for them to be able to do it in a way that's healthy. We've talked about that already. So again, bringing in the can-dos and you just say, you want to turn with the car must be some way you can let your brother know you want to turn without anybody getting hurt. And he may be at the stage where he can come up with ideas. You know, he may stay out. No, maybe I'll kick him. No, still kicking is also not okay. Somebody's getting hurt when there's kicking. Maybe I'll grab it from him. That doesn't work for me. So it can come into a bit of a negotiation. It still has to be within your boundaries. But what you're coming to is to find a way to meet the child's need in a way that the child likes and in a way that you like. So the child's going to that way because it's actually going to be satisfying for them. It's actually going to be a satisfying way for them to meet that need. And you're going to like it because it falls within your boundaries. Okay. So maybe the child can't really come up with something. Maybe you hop in and start to suggest, well, how about you just let him know, just give him a little tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, I'd like a turn with that when you're done. And then maybe at this point, your son, no, I'm going to see if he wants to play with the blue car and I'm going to see if he's going to trade me. And then maybe that's going to work. Oh, you can say, okay, great. That sounds like a great idea. That's within my boundaries. You go ahead, you grab, you find that blue car and you bring it to your brother and see if, see if he wants to trade. And maybe he will. Because kids, they're, they're really good at figuring things out. And okay, I'll, I'll talk about, I'm gonna, I want to talk about people being problems after I'm done, but I want to continue this example so people can get it together in their head. So it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at that point where he's come up with a solution. We want to get into that children act according to who they believe they are. And so we bring in this, the tool that goes with that premise, which is called strengths. And we use strengths instead of praise. Praise is something that many parents are using because a lot of times we maybe didn't get enough of it when we were kids. We didn't get enough like encouragement when we were kids. And so this is what society presents to us to help our kids have a good self-esteem. Like I'm going to praise them. Good girl, good boy. I'm so proud of you. All these things. So we're coming from this very loving place when we're using praise. But what can happen is, or what does happen is the strength that we're encouraging in the child then is people pleasing. I'm good at making other people happy. What we want to do is not just have them believe I'm good at making other people happy. We want to go back to that. I'm a loving person. I'm a loving brother, right? I'm a brother who knows how to share. I'm a person who knows what to, how to get what they want without anybody getting hurt. I'm a problem solver. Whatever that strength is that you want to bring into that moment. So you do say what you see again once they've come up with a solution to the problem. You offered, you offered to trade your brother and you found a way to get what you want without anybody getting hurt. That shows that you're a loving brother. That shows that you're a problem solver. That shows that you want to bring in that shows that this gets the child grounded, rooted and grounded in themselves. And then they're making their decisions based on self-belief 
making decisions about their behavior based on self-belief because many of us were raised with that reward and punishment model. Again, all parents are doing the very best that they can, but for myself particularly and other people I talk to, as adults, what that creates as adults for us when we've been punished for doing for having life challenges, for doing things wrong, making mistakes, we end up making our decisions about our behavior from a place of trying to prevent bad things from happening. We're trying to prevent the behavior, from, or the, we're trying to pre- prevent the punishment from happening to us. We're making decisions based on a place of fear rather than a base, based on a place of self-belief. So once I started learning language of listening, this is the place I want my kids to make their decisions from, that they know that they are whatever they are. Can I tell you a story actually about affirming a strength in my daughter? And so I love telling this story because I think it's fun. It's a story where I actually was able to find a hidden strength in my daughter. So I have I have a strong dislike of having finding Sharpie marker marked on my walls or my furniture. I think most parents would say that they would agree with Sharpie marker showing up in those places in their house as an issue. And so those are my boundaries. I dislike those things. This is where our boundaries come from, by the way, our preferences, our likes and our dislikes. So I, I dislike that. So I have rules around it. And my rules are that if a child finds a Sharpie marker, they bring it to an adult and Sharpie markers are only supposed to be used in the presence of an adult. So I was in the dining room one day with my youngest and she was peeking behind the cabinet and she found a Sharpie marker back there and she pulled it out and she was so excited and she started coming over to me, handing it out. And at the last second, before I could get it, she grabbed it back and held it against her chest and put her hand over it. No way. I'm not doing this. And I'm like, okay, okay. Say what, like language of listening. What do I do here? And so I say what you see, you found a Sharpie marker and you started giving it to me. And then I added in the strength, believe it or not, there's a strength in this that shows, you know, how to follow the rules. Now, I know she wasn't following the rules, but she showed me she knows how to follow the rules. And the minute those words came out of my mouth, do you know what happened? The Sharpie marker came right over to me. She's somebody who knows how to follow the rules. She loved that. She loved having the goodness seen and her intentions seen and having them validated. After that, it was a game. Anytime she found a Sharpie marker, she was so happy and she would bring it right to me because her memory was, I'm a person who knows how to follow the rules. And I love that about myself. And I'm going to keep validating. That's who I am. I'm going to, I'm going to act out. That's who I am. A person who follows the rules. I don't have Sharpie marker on my wall. So my furniture anymore. That is wonderful. I love how you get down to, with these methods, you get down to the true intent and it's in such an authentic way. Because that's something that in our house has been a big deal. We really talk a lot about intent and looking beyond behavior into what's really happening in the heart that's triggering the behavior. But the way that you're able to say it is so much more clear. And I really appreciate that. Can I tell you my favorite quote from Language of Listening is actually about intentions. I was listening to one of the trainings that we were listening to in our coaching program. And it actually brought tears to my eyes and I had to stop the I had to stop the training and rewind it and listen to it over and over again to like just really get that mental pathway laid out. And, and it was Sandy simply saying like, the world is a much, a, feels like a much safer place around people who can see your true intentions. Yeah. That's all I wanted as a child. I made mistakes all the time. And unfortunately I was harshly punished for them. And I just wanted people to see the real me. I wanted my parents to see the real me. And I think that's why that was in, I think, my bio when I was talking about, like, I was chasing after something that felt out of reach my whole life was my parents' love. And I think that, again, it's being seen and understood, the intentions, the true intentions. And yeah, that just felt so important to me. And I wanted to feel safe. We all want to feel safe. And the world does feel like a safer place around people who can see our true intentions. Yeah. 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 I love that you guys are doing that in your home, that you have that wisdom that's already there. Yes, what a gift. Very, yeah. Very important. But I'm going to go read the book too. That you're- 
talking about because I haven't read it and it just sounds amazing. So tell us more. You were talking about there are like three, three, three pieces to this. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I gave those in my story about the cars. So the first piece is say what you see. And then if you're seeing behavior you don't like, you move into the can do's. And then mm-hmm. when you're seeing behavior you do like, you move into the strengths to just solidify that in the child. I can tell another story about using those tools together. This is the other one I like to tell is my hot dog bun story because my daughter hates it when her hot dog bun rips. She hates it. Okay. And this is another thing that I've learned from this model. And I've mentioned it already about our likes and our dislikes. They really are foundational. Like this is the first thing that actually that I get the moms I work with to do is to get 20 or 30 minutes and sit down on your own and just write a list of everything you can think of that you like and everything that you can think of that you don't like and start to become more aware of your own preferences, your likes and your dislikes, your unique mix. That's who you are. That's your identity. That's what makes up who you are. And then they also make up your boundaries. So many times we're not sure what our boundaries are. You can just trust that if you like something or that you don't like something, that's your boundaries. Okay, that's where those are. So allowing our children and pointing out to our children what they like and what they don't like. Oh boy, talk about them feeling seen and understood. Same with my husband. When I point out what he likes and what he doesn't like, that's again, there's that. He loves it when I use say with him because everybody wants to be seen and understood. So this story is about allowing my child to hold on to her hatred of having a ripped hot dog bun. (laughs) Okay. So it was a holiday weekend. wanted to make something nice for dinner, but my girls don't like the food my husband and I eat. So I was like, Steve, they love hot dogs. I'll just make the girls hot dogs and I'll make something nice for us. Perfect. So I made the hot dogs first. The girls are eating them at the table. I have my back to them. I'm in the kitchen making supper for Steve and I. Steve's sitting at the table and I hear Emily scream. And I turn around and she's ripping all her food up into a million pieces, throwing them all over the dining room. So Steve got after her. He said, you can't do that. And she just jumps up out of her chair and screams like running out of the room. And I was like, oh boy, okay. Got to keep my language of listening tools close at hand. And I know she's the kind of kid that you don't go to her right away when she's upset. She just needs a couple of minutes to cool off. She's like her mama. I need a couple of minutes just to straighten out my brain, you know, to figure out how do I really feel? And so I was like, she's hungry. She'll come back. I'm just going to keep on making supper. And, and we left all that food on the floor, by the way. So she comes back, mama, I'm hungry. And I said, okay. And I, I just got down at her level and I was like, you know what? I remember what it felt like to be a little girl. And to have your hot dog bun rip, I'm like, doesn't taste the same at all, which of course it does. But I just was getting her understood. I was seeing it from her perspective. It doesn't taste the same at all. Oh, you hate that. And I said, and then I brought in my boundary and I was like, and food is not for the floor. It's for our plates and for our tummies. And I said, if you go around and pick up all the little pieces of food and put them on your plate and bring me your plate, I'll make you a new hot dog. No problem. She felt seen and understood and connected. She walked around and picked up all the pieces. Very cooperative is our child's default. If they're not being cooperative, something is going on. And, and, and we want to become those detectives I was talking about earlier and figure out there's something going on because my child, their default's cooperative. So something, something else is going on here. So she was fully cooperative. I made her another hot dog. And I said, I'm going to do the very best that I can to make sure that bun doesn't rip. But I said, sometimes buns rip and I want you to eat it anyways. Took her hot dog to the table. She ate it. She asked for hot dog number three. She took that to the table and ate it. And when she was finished hot dog number three, she said, mama, this one didn't rip. I was like, why is she telling me this one didn't rip? And I said, Emily, did your second hot dog bun rip? She said, yeah. And I said, now she was like five at the time. And I was really shocked at her reaction. One of the things in the front of Sandy's book, it says like more hugs, more respect. And and what I said to her was, say what, Emily, your hot dog bun ripped and you ate it anyways. That shows you have self-control. Why that phrase meant so much to a five-year-old, I have no idea, but she hopped out of her seat and ran across the room and gave me a big squeezy hug. And never a problem again with the hot dog buns because again, she knows that she's someone who has self-control 
and she feels joy at experiencing her strength and practicing that capability that she has, right? When her hot dog bun is ripped. So now it's not a problem, but I allowed her to continue to hate that. Sometimes we think that the, the hatred of something is the problem with the child. No, if we allow them to keep hating something and then be a problem solver for how to deal with it, man, that's empowering. Man, that helps them deal with when other stuff they hate comes up in their life, right? There's got to be some way around this. I can hate it. There's nothing wrong with me. And this was the part I wanted to bring up when I said I want to talk about problems later. One of my favorite things to teach people is people can't be problems. They can only have problems. And what happens is whenever we've got a challenge, something in us that makes us start to blame ourselves. And we think that we're the problem. There's something wrong with me. And then when we, if we even go to, to look to problem solve, which is pretty hard because then we're solving the problem of us. That's painful solving the problem of us. We go to solve it, but we're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And we end up spinning our tires. You can't solve a problem that doesn't exist. When we can use say what you see and know that our child is not the problem, it's that they have a challenge and the challenge is a problem that we can help them overcome. We can use say what you see with us too. We haven't talked much about that yet, but you can use say what you see yourself. Understand that you're not the problem, but know that you have a problem that you want to solve. And then your brain can go to figuring out the problem. When we know that we're not a problem, we become natural problem solvers. So when my daughter came in the room, she was not the problem when she ripped up the hot dog bun. The problem was that the hot dog bun was on the floor and that was outside of the boundaries. That action was outside of the boundaries. And yeah, so we just, I just showed her how to, how to do it within the boundaries. She wasn't the problem. The problem was not functioning within the boundaries and she got to functioning within the boundaries. She became a natural problem solver. She had the strength. She had the belief in herself to, to figure that issue out. That is just so beautiful. And in our time in the military, you know, moving place to place every couple of years, you see a lot. And I can say that the overall tone that I noticed over all the times in communities is that most people see the child as the problem. And it's really unfortunate. And I think this is such a beautiful way for people to reset their mind and their focus. And it, it brings in such a beautiful bond that's otherwise missed. And it was yours to have to begin with if you just knew how to grab it and, and do it right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, Katie, if you don't mind me interrupting, sorry, but I feel like I just wanted to hop in and just say people see their kids as a problem because they see themselves as a problem. Yeah. And so this model, the thing that brought me much joy, besides the fact that it allowed me to become the mom I always wanted to be, because mm -hmm. that's what I wanted, it also allowed me to reparent myself. It allowed me to fill in the voids left over from my own childhood. In childhood, if we start believing we're the problem, it's usually because, again, there's that disconnect with our parents. And because the world becomes way too scary of a place for us to believe that our parents are flawed or that our parents could make mistakes, we just put it on ourselves because that makes the world feel like a safer place. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying with that? Yeah. And if somebody's making their child a problem, it's really because they believe that they're a problem too. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, get it for you and you've got it for your kids. When you can get to a place where you believe that you're not a problem, you're going to stop seeing your kids as a problem as well. And so your heart is really fighting for you to show up as a fullest expression of yourself. And Sandy says the fastest track to personal growth is parenting and you got so probably agree things change when your kids all of a sudden show up in this world like for me like I said again in my intro was like all of a sudden all these unshed tears and unexpressed anger that might have showed up here and there you know when I was when I was single and I didn't have kids yet but once the kids showed up it was like overwhelming those things fastest track to personal growth <laughs> parenting yep. yeah it puts in the pressure that brings out what things are there that were cracks yeah. that you didn't know you had yeah yeah and yeah. and it can all be they can all be 
filled in. They can, we can still come to that fuller expression of who we are and find our value and our worth and live from the belief in that place that, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty great person. I've got lots of value and worth. And then you just naturally pass it on to your kids, naturally, naturally. But feeling like you're the problem, that's a survival mechanism left over from childhood. And we pass on our survival mechanisms, right? Like we teach our kids what to do when the house is on fire. That's really important in today's day and age. Or here, like where I live in Canada, like I would teach my kids, if you see a bear, don't go pet the bear. That's not an appropriate animal to approach, right? These are real for real survival mechanisms that we want to be passing down to our kids today. We don't want to pass down to them. I'm thinking most people don't want to pass down that survival mechanism to their kids that that they're a problem. And so we want to make sure that, yeah, the mechanisms we're, we're passing on, the survival mechanisms are the ones that are helpful rather than hindering. It's amazing to think what the impact can be on the legacy of a family and on the generational health of a family when one, just one parent like you takes the control, does the work and changes everything in the trajectory that you were originally headed in. It's just so beautiful and empowering and I'm hope bringing, I think for so many people to know it just takes you and you can do it. Definitely. Definitely. Yep. Wow. I gotta say, I think that this, if you can package that up and say to a newlywed couple, Mm. this is, I didn't buy you the China you wanted. Right. (laughs) I got you this. (laughs) I think that would substantially help. Yes. Uh, bring down the divorce rate to improve families and marriages and Mm -hmm. prepare them better for parenting. I think at the outset, it would be wonderful training Mm -hmm. for newlyweds either, you know, before or just Mm -hmm. after whatever the case, but I think it would be wonderful training for them because it's an approach that seems like it would apply universally and it would benefit universally. So Mm -hmm. they would start their marriage in a better way. And certainly that would then go into their parenting and that would more than help with some of the generational problems that we see. Yeah, definitely. I just love that. It's, it feels like blessings all around. It's great for the kid, but it's great for the parents too. Like it's great for everybody's experience. And I just think that's so beautiful that it really does. Yeah. It really does benefit everybody. And I really feel like the world benefits when we're showing up as the people that we were created to be, as the people that we, you know, that who we truly are coming, showing forth who we are in in the best, in the purest way possible. The world really benefits, but we benefit too. We enjoy our lives more when we're showing up as a full expression of ourselves. Everybody benefits when just one person is made whole again and (sighs) can shine that out to others. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That gives me like five questions, but I'm only (laughs) two or three. So if, In a coaching situation, how do you step in to help a person or a family? I assume you do it all remotely, how we're doing now. You don't have to be one-on-one in the family's house or anything like that. But what is that? Is that like a a typical therapy session where they meet with you for an hour a week? Or how do you do this as a profession? Yeah, so I have a 12-week program. I work specifically with moms. And basically, there are parts of the program that are self-study. That There's very specific things I want to make sure that everybody can take away. And then I do meet one-on-one with with the moms. And there's also a little bit of teaching involved in there as well. But really, they're bringing their life experiences, they're bringing their challenges, and I use language of listening with them. It's my coaching model 
that I use to coach my clients with. Like you said, Steve, it's like universal. It really is. When I validate people and, and they know they're not the problem and they're hearing it from outside, that helps so much. And then they become natural problem solvers and they can figure out what how they want to solve the problem. Because really my goal is to get moms to a place where they feel free to choose, where the possibilities open up to them, where they've got the tools that they need. And when you're free to choose, you're always going to choose what you like and what you love. And that's why I call my business Love the Way You Parent, because I'm really getting those moms to the place where they're free to choose. They're just free to choose. And that's, I think, a really beautiful thing because the model is, it's not a standalone thing. It's really a marriage between you and the model. It's your boundaries. It's your preferences that are showing up. It's the things that you, only you know about your child that you bring into it, right? The model can't tell you what you know about your child. It can help more things about your child by using that tool. Say what you see. Why would a great kid do that, right? It can help you open up your mind to new ways to look at your child. But there are things that you know about your child and there are ways that you can connect with your child that nobody else can. And so it really is, you bring in your beauty, you bring in your strengths, you bring in your boundaries. And that's really how it works. Mm. That is so nice that everybody can sign up and they don't have to be nearby. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Now everybody knows what they're going to get for a wedding gift from us. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. All right. So I can imagine that I, I'm not going to even guess what your answer would be to, to our question about how, or what in particular would you share? So for the audience who's listening out there now, what is a thing that you would recommend as a success secret for that family based on either your own experience, your family experience, or your professional expertise? What would, what, if you could come up with just one, what would be your number one thing that you would share with them for their success? Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about something that's, that I've learned from language of listening, but that has been very helpful in our household this year with COVID where we're living. The numbers are very low. Thank goodness. What a gift. So our kids are in school, but my youngest does experience some school anxiety and it was worsened this year with them having to wear masks and not being able to interact with kids outside of their classroom. And just just the stress in the world that we're all carrying right now as a result of this pandemic. And so we were having extra trouble in the morning when it was come to getting her to go to school. And it was like, she wouldn't get dressed. She wouldn't eat her breakfast. And it was this like 15 to 30 minute fight in the morning trying to get things to work. And I was just like, what the heck? I'm like, I know what to do. So I had this little tool that I teach. I teach the moms I work with and I call them mini power playtimes. So language of listening is actually a parenting model that's based on play therapy positive psychology and transformational coaching. And so there's this piece that is these power playtimes that we do that are half an hour once a week that I've taken that and just turned it into something slightly smaller. And I call them mini power playtimes where you just have Play-Doh and you have a timer and your child and you just take 10 or 15 minutes. So in the morning before school, instead of fighting for 15 to 30 minutes, trying to get my daughter to get her clothes on and eat her breakfast, I would have one of these mini power play times. I'd get the Play-Doh out. I had three colors and I'd turn the timer on and I'd say, okay, Emily, let's, let's have our power play time. And what you do in that play time is you simply use the language of listening tools, especially heavy on the say what you. And so just really validating her. So the child leads during the play time. They have to stay within your boundaries, but other than that, they're completely in charge. And so what my daughter started doing was so cute. She was like, mommy, you make cubes. You make cubes. So I'm like, okay, I'm making the cubes. Because even the parent doesn't even play with the Play-Doh unless the child invites them in. Like the child's really in charge here. Again, except for the, the boundaries. So one of my boundaries is when the Play-Doh falls on the floor, gets back on the table right away. That's one of the boundaries. Anyways, that's besides what was really working for us. So what I saw happening is she had this little 
finger puppet. It was a little pig. His name's Ketchup. <laughs> she was bringing him to the playtimes. And I would have to make the cubes and Ketchup would come over and he'd smush the cubes as soon as I made them. And so what you can see in this, and we, this just played out every day. Every day it was me making cubes, which I really actually like making cubes with Play-Doh. It's just fun. So I was very happy with that. And, and she was smashing the cubes. So she was getting her need for connection met because she had my full attention for those 10 to 15 minutes. But Ketchup was smushing the cubes. That means she needed to meet her need for power. That's what she was doing. By getting ketchup to smush the cube, she was meeting her need for power. So she was able to meet her need, which you can imagine if a child has school anxiety, they're feeling quite powerless. Mm -hmm. So for her to have this opportunity that was easy and predictable for her to meet her need for power right before school, that was happening every morning. She could depend, mama's going to Play-Doh with me this morning. And she could meet her need for by crushing the cubes. And I hammed it up. Ketchup, no, oh, not another one. And then I try to hide them in the cups and ketchup would find them in the cups. And then, and then she felt really powerful. And so she could depend on that every morning until we're now at a place where it's not an issue. Like we're not doing the Play-Doh playtimes every morning. It probably lasted for about four weeks or something like that. But that was, yeah, that was, again, turning her anxiety, taking her anxiety and just going, okay, what need is, does she need to meet in this moment? And she, she decided, I didn't decide that she needed to meet her needs in the playtime. That was what she decided in the playtime was that th their needs just come out. They just automatically, so we can watch in the playtimes. It's fun to watch and see what need they're meeting. But at the same time, that third premise, all behaviors are driven by three healthy needs, experience, connection, and power. And what children are doing is already meeting those needs. They're already meeting their needs. They're already doing it. And so she just figured it out in the playtime. And I got to validate her and I got to witness it. And I got to connect with her through that. As soon as the timer went off, she's eating her breakfast. She's getting her snowsuit on. She's out the door. No fights because she was getting her needs met. She was, that anxiety was happening. She was stopping. She was digging in her heels because she was finding it very difficult to meet her needs within the anxiety that she was experiencing. And these playtimes work fa fantastically. If you've got parents who are listening and they're trying to work from home right now because of COVID and their kids are at them every five seconds, Give them a 15 to 10 minute playtime with the Play-Doh in the morning, every morning that you have to work so that they can depend on it. It's dependable. It's consistent. And they know I can meet my need this way because our kids will find ways that are consistent to meet their needs. Sometimes it's hitting. So if they're feeling powerless, well, here's an example. My youngest, what we found with her is she finds it very easy to meet her need for power by controlling the cat. And she's always going after the cat, picking him up and doing this. And I, I went to my husband. I'm like, she's feeling powerless. We got to find some ways for her to meet her need for power where she's not annoying the cat. But all, that's all that is, is, oh, that's a clue. I'm, I'm the detective. I can see she's feeling she she needs to meet her need for power a little more. She's the youngest. That makes sense. And then she's got that school anxiety. What can we do to create situations where she it's easy and predictable for her to meet her need for power? So again, back to the parents who are working, your kid needs to meet their need for connection throughout the day. It's more difficult for them too, because they're not at daycare or, or they're not at school or whatever. And so if you can give them that 10 to 15 minutes in the morning, that's easy and predictable for them to meet their need for connection, they're going to be able to leave you alone for longer. So you can have a little bit more interrupted, uninterrupted, excuse me, uninterrupted work time. Yeah. So those playtimes, mini power playtimes, they're fantastic. Whether you do it once a week or whether you do it five days a week, as long as it's consistent. And I do offer that like a PDF uh, explaining how to do those for anybody who signs up for my email list that's available there. Yeah. So that's the place where you can get. How can they find that? Because I have a feeling people are already ready to type. I, we, I can send you the link. I can give you guys the link so that you can put it so that you can put it up on your on, on is your it page. Want to also say it? Is it hard to type it? It's hard. Yeah. You know what? They can go to they can go to afteraces.com. That's okay. my website. And if they scroll down, can say get on my mailing list. That's another way to get on, on my email list is okay. to is to do that. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. So go there and then send also, yes, we will put the link in the description too. So that everybody yeah, can click perfect. that if they want to do that. 
at, at that at, on that page it explains yeah it explains more about the play times yeah Okay. Awesome. That is such a good tangible tool. And it's neat because you gave everybody kind of a shortcut to solving something that seems to be an unsolvable problem <laughs> for most families. So very helpful. Thank yeah. you. Do you have other questions? I don't think we have enough time for all the questions. I know I we could keep, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah. That's- sure. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. That would be wonderful. Yeah. So we'll have to have part two. And- yeah. Yeah, definitely. So where can people find you in the meantime before we have you back? Yeah. So the place I show up best is my Facebook group called Love the Way You Parent. So if people just go to Facebook and search Love the Way You Parent, make sure you join the group. My business page is the same name. Not so active on there, very active in the group. Um, and there's free teachings in there, how to use the three, the three tools. And uh, yeah, lots of great stuff in there. And then again, my website, if anybody wants to read up on how to work with me, you can go to afteraces.com slash love the way you parent. And that will have that information. You can find me on Instagram too, by searching love the way you parent as well. Gracious. That's brilliant. That is wonderful. There's so much good stuff in there, folks. You're going to probably want to hit the rewind button mm-hmm. um, on the podcast and, and listen to it more than once because it was certainly more than you can take it in a single session. Yeah. Rosemary, thank <laughs> you. Oh, you're so welcome. My goodness. Amazing yeah. value. And I know you've blessed so many people today. Oh, I hope so. Thank Indeed. you. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from this podcast, we would be honored if you would share it. Please rate, review, subscribe, and download. Head over to podcast.familysuccesssecrets.com to have a top-rated Family Success Secret sent straight to your inbox. We look forward to spending time with you again next week during our next episode. See you then.